Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. Paul, it's always good to talk to you, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Uh, Today, we are continuing our season on buying a dental practice, things to do, things not to do, things to think about. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the real estate. So you're buying the assets, perhaps, of the practice. And uh, as you have attributed to me and quoted me, I appreciate it. Without an office, you can't have a dental office. So we have to nail down what is the deal with the actual physical location, which may not be the sexiest topic, but I'm not kidding. Without that, unless you plan on practicing out of a a van, (laughs) then you need to deal with the real estate. It's important. Maybe I can just ask you to kick it off a little bit in your deal experience. I'll, I'll say as a broker, most of the time I'm talking to sellers who do own the real estate but I am like a New Jersey PA person. And a lot of these dentists did purchase these things in the 70s and 80s at this condo complex or things like that. I know that there's buildings that are much bigger and more exciting, but are you dealing most of the time with sellers that own it, lease it, both 50-50? Yeah, I think it depends. You know, as you said, it's a regional thing um, and it's also like an age thing. There was a time, Back in the olden <laughs> days, a long, long time ago, when I first started practicing law, my first uh, dental client who got me in this business was really one of the first, you know, the pioneers to go into a retail setting. Yeah. You know, he was in shopping centers and malls, and he caught some grief about it, right. too. You know, he was very much ahead of his you, time. You, back then, all you do is hang out a shingle. You went to the shingle store, and that was the whole business thing. <laughs> well, that was I it. need my shingle. But yeah. then he was saying, you didn't even have to own the building that you put the shingle on. Right. Well, <laughs> there was like, quote, unquote, he's a mall dentist. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes, he, he is in the mall across from a movie theater where tens of thousands of people <laughs> right. walk yeah, past yeah. his door on a daily basis. Right. You know, like, why did that take so long to become a thing, right? And uh, so, you know- but that has changed over time. So we probably see, especially in the startup world, more people are going into retail yeah. spaces than um, uh, than medical office buildings or standalone buildings. We'll talk about houses too. That's a whole another thing, yeah. Paul. Uh, but in those situations, typically the practice owner doesn't own the strip mall or right. the shopping center. Uh, or the mall. So in that, uh, in those deals, we're definitely looking at a third party landlord. It also depends on, um, on where the practice is. You know, if you're in Staten Island, yeah, you're probably looking at a practice in a house. Yeah. Uh, if you are looking in Oklahoma City, you're probably looking at a strip mall. Yeah. You know, and, and so they're just too sort of easy to sort of I recognize. Own both. We examples. got a practice and I, I have a, I'm, I'm a resident expert. I got a practice in the house that we own the building and we got a practice in the strip mall we don't own the strip mall yeah i would say you know and let's let's just talk about 
practices in houses. I think your guys, you have a different situation because your house is uh, is the office and has been completely turned into a dental. Yeah, office. right. We had to get it rezoned. We did have a tenant there for a right. while upstairs. Okay. Had to have a tenant. Yeah. So I I totally know what you say. Right now, ours is totally a commercial building for uh, the dental office. Yeah, and so where we see problems a lot of times is where people are buying a practice in a house that still has a residential piece to it that is potentially problematic because of zoning. As you said, you got it rezoned. A lot of times people don't get these rezoned. And then it's like there are requirements that the dentist needs to live in the house. How did this happen? You know, it was my dad's practice. I used to... I used to come home from school when we were moving and go upstairs with the owner dentist widow and play cards and eat saltine crackers. Cause <laughs> that's the, a crazy it was, it was, Yeah, it was in yeah. the house. I mean, yeah, right. what did dentists do? We're like, you know what we should do? We should take our incredibly stressful job and we should put it right inside of our house, yeah. right? We yeah. used to have no arm's length away <laughs> right. from our stress, right? <laughs> well, that's what lawyers did in COVID. That's yeah. a whole nother so, thing, right? Yeah, but your clients didn't come there. So yeah, I, you yeah, know, that's true. So basically you're just kind of putting this on its own island of the if you're buying a, if you're a buyer like this season talks about, and you're purchasing a, a a practice that's inside of a house with rules to live inside the house, be extra cautious. Yeah, and 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 there are other issues that come with that because then the day is going to come when you have to transition right. the practice, and now you've got this real estate that's a little quirky. And he said, "You want to buy my practice? Yeah. Do you want to live upstairs? <laughs> right, like yes. no, you know, and and somewhat. And again, it depends where you are, right? So in Pennington, you know, the commercial area in Pennington, as I understand it, and other places like it, are houses. They're residential places that have been converted to businesses and professional offices. That's the the nature of the beast. But that's not always the case. So if you're buying a practice in a house, that may already be an antiquated piece of real estate. And what happens 20 years from now when you want to go transition the practice, it's going to be even that much more antiquated. And know that with all these zoning issues, they pose problems for the practice transition, you know, and and it's a whole myriad of things. But, you know, talking to my my team the other day, uh, we have a couple of deals where we're dealing with sort of the collateral uh, impact of having houses or having buying practices in houses. And like more often than not, there are problems, yeah. you know, and even if you're able to kind of get through them at the time of the purchase, realize that this is going to be your hot potato to deal right. with down the road. And so, you know, I would caution people um, who are looking to buy practices. So then it might, using me as an example, my, we have a practice in Ewing, New Jersey in a strip mall. We lease it. We don't own the strip mall. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to sell this practice, the buyer would be looking at, taking over our lease, making right. sure it's, it's, you know, they can't get kicked out. Things that you've talked about, leases in the past, which right. leases can be way more exciting than they sound. Yeah, well, that's important too. And so that that's, you know, the other type of sort of real estate species in a, in a practice transition where you have a third party landlord where you have to con- get consent to assign that lease to your buyer. Yeah, typically, you know, and this depends on the strength of the lease too. And this is where you want to have good language in that lease that allows you to assign it to a buyer of your practice with minimal or no landlord involvement. You don't want the landlord to have too much of a seat at the table to evaluate your uh, your buyer. And, you know, this is something that we deal with you know, when we're negotiating leases. And the landlord will say, well, I want the ability to approve my tenant. Okay, we're going to give you 
a dentist who is creditworthy enough to get a loan for $800,000. What's the other criteria right. that you need to evaluate? I want to know who's in my center. Like that starts to drift right. into places that it's like no good could come out of that. Right. For sure. right? Like what 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 do they need to assess? And and you don't want to give them that that authority because that can stymie yeah. your your deal. So a lot of that really be you know, begins at the time that you that you enter the lease, and um, but from a buyer in a practice transition, unfortunately, you don't have a whole lot of leverage to negotiate with that landlord. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of times you get stuck with what your your seller uh, agreed to. Now, that being said, lenders are going to require most of the time a lease that is coterminous with the lease term. So if you're signing a 10-year loan, then you're going to need to have right. control of the lease, either term or renewal term of 10 years. So if there's only three years left on the lease, then you as the buyer have a little more leverage to go to the landlord and say, I want to extend this by seven or 10 years and add a five-year renewal term. And then in connection with that, I want to fix some of the stuff that the seller yeah. didn't handle. I, do, I don't remember because you know pre pre COVID <laughs> seems like yesterday and a hundred years ago. But you, you were helping <laughs> Jeff and I, and we actually ended the deal based on some very very just crazy things with the lease involving people were involved in it. It wasn't worth it to move forward. Right. So it can truly be the deal breaker. It's the yeah. number one deal killer yeah. for us. I think you know is is a bad lease or real estate situation. Yeah, uncooperative landlords, unreasonable expectations, where things just flat out don't work from a business standpoint. And uh, if we kind of just if I asked or kind of bring up the topic of now, someone purchasing a practice where they're purchasing the space. In my experience just so our listeners understand, the practices are usually collecting a lot more money than what the building is worth. So people go, oh my gosh, how can I buy a building? Well, you're buying a million dollar practice inside of a $240,000 building. Right. So dentists are doing a lot more revenue than usually what their building is worth. Is that what you find most of the time? It depends on the on the market, but yeah. yeah, a lot of the times, you know, I think, I, I guess I, I, I approach this as, Buying the real estate where the practice is located is sometimes just a necessary yeah. evil, you know, and should be regarded as such. Like, I think, uh, and if listeners have heard me say over the years, you know, just don't fall in love with owning the real estate. Right. You know, like sometimes it works and sometimes it makes sense, but it becomes this whole other thing that you have to deal with. You know, when it comes time to transition the practice that uh, you're going to have to sell that to the buyer, you're going to become a right. landlord, you know, and if you are selling your practice, do you really want to be a landlord? Wait, also, what are we talking about here? It's like, I mean, I encourage an entrepreneurial mm -hmm. spirit, but like, does the 63-year-old seller really want to collect $1,800 a month for five months as sort of this big way to make extra money, right? Yeah, you know, right. it's like, you know, so I, I find sometimes it is a, you know, as we talk about these deals, it's also just another, you know, we did this back in science class, litmus test, right, mm -hmm. for the get-along ability of the person you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, and, and really, you're selling your practice and you're going to move to Palm Beach. And then a month later, you get this call from the tenant, the roof's leaking. Right. You know, there's a problem with the parking lot. There's a sinkhole yeah. next door. Like, you know, like you got to deal with that stuff, you know, and it's nice to get the money, right? right. Like you collect the rent. 
But anybody that owns uh, investment real estate knows that you know you might go for several months and or even years where everything just runs on o- autopilot, and then all of a sudden you feel like every week you're throwing money yeah. and time. And also, this into is the this. moment. You know, if someone buys the building and they pay it off, and now they're going to sell their practice, and they bought a three hundred thousand dollar building, it's paid off. Why not just sell it? And now you have a whole other win to the day of closing, right? You know, oh, yeah. it's like you sell your practice for $750,000, you get $300,000 for a building, it's a nice day. And now yeah. you're totally, your hands are totally wiped, as they say, of the whole thing. And you can just, now it's the new buyer's deal. It's, a, the, you know, they have the building and the uh, a practice. Yeah, I, it's a, a great point, Paul. Um, you know, and the other thing too, from a buyer's perspective, as we talk about sort of like, where the modern practice is located, and again, this is this varies, you know, by by region as well. But again, as we said a few minutes ago, a lot of the the good locations where the demographics are good, and you've got lots of foot traffic, and they're yeah. modern offices, are not in buildings that you can own. Right, exactly. Right, they're they're in retail centers, you know, and it's not about owning the dirt. It's about making money as a dentist. So that's a good point too, because to people, you know, it's great to have goals and visions, but I'm saying, Paul, don't show me any practices where I can't buy the building. I go, this is just unnecessarily restrictive yeah. for the most important decision of your life. Right? Yeah. It's almost like saying, it's like, don't show me any homes that don't have a pool, but I want to be in the school district and I need to be in this area. I say, well, you could join a pool club. I mean, you've said at lectures, hey, if you want to invest in real estate, go do that somewhere sure. else. Go buy some some commercial grade uh, investment real estate that has uh, a liquid market. And uh, you know, again, yeah, falling in love with owning the the real estate is just, I think, is a is a really bad idea. But you know, so sometimes we are looking at the situation where uh, you would buy the practice and then have to enter into a lease with yeah. a seller. And with that, you have to approach this just like any other landlord. Yeah. It's an important aspect of the deal. This is where you, this is going to be the document that governs you know, where the practice is you know, located, the, the control and your ability to operate out of that location for as long as you own it. And so making sure that uh, uh, maintenance responsibilities right. are clear, clearly delineated, making sure the economics are good, making sure there aren't things in there that we refer, refer to as foot faults, where you can make a mistake and that could lead to uh, being in default or yeah. breach of the of the lease. Because again, if you've paid a million dollars for the practice, you need to be able to have a place to practice. And also, you never know what, I've seen things go in all different directions. You know, I mean, you know, Things can happen with real estate that you can't predict long term, and as the buyer, you do get to control your own destiny when you own it. And you Great can, point. maybe you just want to, you know, if my brother and I, we don't have the bandwidth, we could just sell our building and move it to move our practice into a larger location in a in a, in a retail complex we want, but we just have total control of our destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And look again, maybe you make five hundred thousand dollars a year being a dentist. Right. I, I challenge anybody to show me their their dental office real estate that throws off five hundred thousand dollars a year of <laughs> right. income. Yeah. Right? It's the reason why DSOs don't buy the real estate. Right. You know, it doesn't throw off any any. Well, there's, cash. A, there's a hassle factor to it too. I think what you're bringing up is like. This this piece, which isn't talked about enough, winds up becoming a big deal. And you're saying it kills deals. Mm-hmm. It also creates a ton of friction, I found, as a broker, where, mm-hmm. you know, somehow it's like almost like we've gotten on the same page about the Eagles and the Giants. Now, can we start fighting about politics? I'm like, oh, geez, right? Yeah. So it's like you got to kind of get these running side by side throughout the deal. Uh, 
with whatever it is. It sounds like, you know, you helped my brother and I realized we shouldn't do this deal because we it was a third party landlord. Right. And it was unreasonable. <laughs> right. And uh, then, it you know, I also find, Rob, um, maybe from a buyer's perspective, the seller kind of always thinks their building should be like a professional model. So meaning like it's like when your grandparents thought you should be like a, a model, but the real world's like, we're not going to pay your child to be a model. <laughs> right. go, My building's worth a lot more than what people yeah. say it is. And that can create a lot of friction. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and we do see that. And that's something you have to be careful about. It's a great point. As a buyer, you know, if if the seller wants to wants to sell the real estate for more than an appraises for and they you know, graciously, put air quotes around that, agree to hold a note for that difference, you have to be careful. Because when it comes time to sell that real estate, you're only going to be able to sell it for what it appraises for. And um, if you owe the, uh, the, the seller money on that on that seller note to, to close that gap on the real estate, then you're going to end up having to write the seller a check yeah. to be able to sell this real estate down the road. So it is one of the, especially in deals where you don't have good brokers involved and good representation managing the, the, the deal where it, that aspect alone allows people to quote unquote overpay for the real estate. And it's just like overpaying for any other real estate. But a lot of times it gets kind of thrown in as like an afterthought, but yeah. uh, it becomes an albatross down the road sometimes to deal with. Yeah. Well, you've, you've taught me that leases, uh, buildings are just so much more exciting than uh, people give them credit for in these deals. And I, but I, I see it now. I mean, I had a whole deal fall apart because of it, but I'm yeah. glad it happened. I mean, yeah. it, it was a good right move for me. Yeah. Someone else bought that practice. And I think this is where if you're really not working with the right team who knows what how to deal with this stuff, you really can just put yourself in a bad place. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's a great way to leave off here. And so, yeah, I think you really have to take the real estate aspect of things seriously and look at it as a, as a standalone a business project yeah. and investment because that's what it is and really be realistic of what it's going to be and what it's not going to be and what it's going to look like when it comes time to transition in the future. Super important. Thanks everyone. As always for listening, if you liked our podcast, give us a great review on whatever app you listen yeah. to. And until the next time, thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.